implying very favorable circumstances and enjoyment. Jesus begins the Beatitudes with blessed. To find yourself in a happy state of affairs. Are you in a happy state of affairs today? Would we say that our world is in a happy state of affairs? I would say no. Just looking at the world and looking at the news. To be in a happy state of affairs. Blessed is the man. Why is he blessed? The scriptures tells us he's blessed because of what he does not do. Begins in the negative. He doesn't do certain things. Look again at all of what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, those of us who've been around church a while know this is a familiar passage, and we know that there's an obvious digression from walking to standing to sitting. But he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, rasha, unrighteous, pertaining to being evil with a focus on the guilt of a violating a standard. He said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not listen to the wisdom of the world, but rather listens to what Paul would say is the foolishness of God. Though it's not foolish because it's only foolish to the world. But listen to the counsel of what God says. When you need counsel, when you need understanding, where do you go? In a multitude of counselors, there's great wisdom, the scripture tells us. But to who do you go for counsel? Who you go to matters. Are they going to direct you in the way that God would say you should go? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Because as you begin to walk in the counsel of the wicked, you will soon find yourself standing in the way of sinners. The sinners, those deviating from the straight course. Remember what Psalm 19 tells us. The precepts of the Lord are true, they're straight, they're clear. As soon as we begin to dabble with the things of the world and move ourselves in proximity to the world, whether we want to or not, we will start to think like the world. It slowly comes in. What is popular in Christian circles, in, in the church today, I should say, is that to deconstruct your faith. To reevaluate your faith, to look at your faith, to question. It's a progress. It, it's a progression that only leads downwards. And soon you will find yourself sitting in the seat of the scoffers. Scoffer means to deride or to boast so as to express utter contempt. I was listening to Alistair Begg on Psalm 1 yesterday, and he says it happens all the time. 
And what people will do is they'll come in and they'll, they'll ask a question about Scripture. They'll have a question about something in Scripture. And then they'll come back and then they'll begin to argue it. And then soon they just outright dismiss it. Boy, that is so true. Instead of looking for what God says and standing on the solid truth of God's word, we begin to argue and reason in our own mind. There is such a delusion within the church. Remember God said at the end times he's going to hand people over to a strong delusion. I was reading of a woman, this was her tweet, that Eve is the first transgender person because she came out of a man. And the world would go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. Now we have a... It's that kind of thinking. It's a progression that leads downwards. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. You'll soon become a scoffer. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, the famous book, The Treasury of David, writes this. The seat of the scorner may be very lofty. Sounds very wise, but is very near the gate of hell. Let us free from it. For it shall soon be empty, and destruction shall swallow up the man who sits therein. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. We must ask ourselves today, am I on that road? Am I on that downward progression? Am I anywhere there? And if so, flee. Run. Run for your very soul. The Bible tells us to flee this wicked and perverse generation. Are you blessed today? Blessed because of what he does not do. But then he tells us that he's blessed because of what he does do. Look at what it says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The key is to meditate. We have it in somebody who agrees with us here. He delights. To delight. Shepetz means desire, delight, take pleasure or enjoyment in something. What do we take pleasure in? What do we delight in? There's a lot of things that make me happy. There's probably a lot of things that make you happy. But what do we really delight in? The blessed person, Scripture tells us, delights in the law of the Lord. Delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates. Well, what is the law? The revealed will of God in the Torah, the Psalms, the prophets, and the New Testament. In other words, the delight is in the totality of Scripture. In the Lord, Yahweh, 
the self-existent one, the creator of all life, the owner of the universe. As David says in Psalm 119, 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. We want God to teach us. Let's be honest, we probably don't, because when God teaches us, it involves Him showing us what's wrong and having to correct. I don't like being told I'm wrong. Does anybody here like being told you're wrong? I don't think anybody likes that. But the scripture tells us that a wise man accepts a rebuke. A wise man finds joy in correction, but a fool continues on his way. You delight in the word of God. Uh, does he delight in it? It says he meditates on it. Haggah, meditate, means ponder. Give serious thought and consideration to selected information with a possible implication of speaking in low tones, reviewing the material. Now we had always, you've been brought up in the church, we're taught that it's the idea of chewing the cud. Of taking in God's word, thinking about it, bringing it back up just as an ungulate does, right? A multi-chambered animal. They have to, because of what they eat, cows eat grass and hay, and it's so low in nutrients that they have to get everything out of it, so they regurgitate it, chew on it some more, regurgitate it, chew on it some more, and then so, so on and so on, until it goes through the process. That's the idea, I would say. The idea of meditating on God's Word, and it's just kind of Verb just coming bubbling out of you in these low, like, oh man, man, blessed is the man of all gods. How can you be the blessed man of God? You know, that kind of intensity of thinking about it. I like what Donald Whitney says in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I would encourage you to read that book. He defines meditation as this deep thinking, deep thinking, you know. We often say that Christianity is first and foremost a thinking religion. It's a religion of the mind. The mind directs the heart. Deep thinking, not casual thinking. I said a few weeks ago that if your devotion to the morning consists only of the daily bread, and not the daily bread is good. But if that's only all that you do, you are not deep thinking over the scriptures. You are not giving scriptures their preeminent place. You're checking a box. I don't mean to offend you in that. But it is true. Deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture or upon life from a scriptural perspective for the purpose of understanding, application, and prayer. Do you meditate on God's Word? You will if you delight in the law of the Lord. If you delight, then meditation is the natural next step. He says... The person is blessed because of what they don't do and because of what they do. And now he describes what the blessed person is like. What the blessed 
are like. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. We need to understand the geography of Israel. It's a desert. And so the word planted here is shatal that means to transplant. It's literally a tree that has been transplanted. It's transplanted where? Further away from water? No, next to water. And we need to understand that in water, by streams of water, at times in Scripture, in the desert, there's these things called wadis. It's when rain falls in the mountain, it comes rushing down. It's, it's actually dangerous. If you go into the uh, southwest of the United States, they have them also. But a lot of times underneath that, you don't see it, but there's an underground river. It looks like there's nothing feeding, but yet there's green. Its roots are down. It's been, this is a work that God does in a person. The person who delights themselves in the law of the Lord and meditates on them. The person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer, but rather chooses not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God, is a tree, a transplanted tree, by streams of living water. They will yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. It is planted. It is transplanted. We can help but think of Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Have you been transplanted? Has your heart been transplanted? Have you had a heart transplant? What did the prophet Ezekiel tell us? The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and cause you to obey my decrees. Do you have the heart that God has given you? If you do, you will yield its fruit in season. The transplanted man, the blessed person, yields its fruit in season. What does Jesus tell us? How do you yield your fruit? What does that mean? It means to be connected. You got to be connected to the vine. You got to be connected to the tree. A cut off branch cannot yield fruit. Jesus says in John 15, verses 4 to 5 Abide, make your home in me, plant yourself in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm the source of life here, is what he's telling us. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh yeah, Jesus, I went to school. I earned my degree. I made my money. It is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to make wealth, the scripture tells us. 
We can do nothing by ourselves. This is a fundamental truth in Scripture. We are utterly helpless before a living God. And anything we have is by His good, gracious hand. And that's it. Its leaf does not wither. When the sun comes, the scorching heat is there. Though the river may seem to be dry, there's an underground source. What happens if you take a plant and you just put it on your counter and leave it? It just dries up. It becomes brown. It falls off. It dies. But the one who is blessed by what he doesn't do and what he does do, his leaf will never, never wither. Made me think of what John writes in 1 John 5. Why won't it wither? Because of the confidence that I have. Confidence of who I am attached to. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. There's no way we can wither. There's only winning. There's not losing here. That's why it says that all that he does, he prospers. How, why are we prospering? If you're a blessed person, you prosper because it is the Lord who upholds you by his righteous right hand. For no other reason. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Who does all the doing? God does. Who is it do all the obeying? You and I are. And even that is given to us by God. And he contrasts that with the wicked. This is the blessed person and now the wicked person. In a very simple, straightforward statement. Verse 4. The wicked are not so. Boom. End of discussion. The wicked are not this way. The wicked are not in any way like the blessed one who delights and meditates on the law. Of the Lord. Listen to again what Spurgeon says about the wicked in his treasury of David. When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical, then habitual. Boy, that is true. It becomes a habit. But after that, they become habituated to evil. And they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if let alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others. And thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. They have taken their degree in vice and as true doctors of damnation. God loves Spurgeon. They are installed. And are looked upon as others, as masters in Belial. That is what the wicked are. The complete opposite of the one who is blessed. The complete opposite of the one who delights and meditates on the law of God. 
He goes on to clarify what the wicked are. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. We're not used to chaff. Anybody go? Anybody seen chaff lately? You ever go make some chaff? You ever go deal with chaff? What's chaff? It's the word matz. It means to find pieces of grain, husks of wheat, grains in general, or fine cut straw given to animals as fodder, but figuratively indicating what is useless or worthless. Chaff. Again, we need to understand the society in which this was written. An agrarian society in which they would take their grain, their wheat, whatever it would be, up to the highest point in the city. And they would beat it so the husk comes off. And they would take the wheat and the husks, and it, that's called chaff, and they would throw it up in the air. And the winds would drive away the chaff and the grains would fall. Would just go off. It's useless. It's pointless. It's nothing. He says the the wicked are like they just blow away. They're just they're gone. And then the writer tells for us that there's two paths with two ends: the path of the wicked and the path of the righteous. But it says in verses 5 and 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Does that mean they're not going to be judged? No, absolutely they're going to be judged because there's a point on demand a day and there's a day in which all will stand before, right? There's a point on demand once to die and then the judgment. All people are going to be judged by God. You will face God one day. The question is, will we stand in that day? In other words, will we get through the judgment? Just the wicked will not. They will be cast off into eternity, outside the presence of God, into what their wages, their life has earned. God is not unfair, and God is not unjust in that. God is 100% just. I was watching a clip from R.C. Sproul. I haven't seen that in a long time. And, and, and he was talking about there's two types of people in hell. There's the weepers and there's the gnashers. Ones who weep, ones who think that they should have been in heaven, thought that they were going to be in heaven. And when they find themselves in hell, they weep and say, oh no, not here. Oh no, not here. Death seals our eternal state. Then they said that there are others who are gnashers. Who gnash their teeth at God and say how unfair God is. God is unjust. There's nothing further from the truth than God being unjust. God is perfectly just. That's why he says, leave vengeance to me, says the Lord. I will handle it correctly. You and I will either under justice or over justice, usually over justice. It was interesting in that clip and R.C. Sproul said, if I were to find myself in hell, I would be a weeper. Because knowing God's word that I do, as I do, I would know that I'm here justly. 
May we not be there. May we not have to worry about that. May we strive to be the blessed person who will stand in the judgment. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. What did the righteous do? The righteous lean not on their own understanding, but all the ways acknowledge the Lord. What do the wicked do? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 tells us there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end is the way to death. Leaning on your own understanding. Leaning on what you think is right. What I think is right. Is the way to death. Thank you, pastors. This is so uplifting. Especially before Christmas. But this is God's word. And God wrote it to us for a purpose. God wrote it for, to us for the express purpose that we would choose to be the blessed person and not the wicked person. There are two keys, I believe, to being blessed. Two keys to being blessed. First is memorization of scripture. Memorize God's word. Donald Whitney in his book, The Christian Disciplines of the Christian Life, says one of the Christian disciplines is memorization. One of the things that we should make sure we do, and this, this, this is convicting to me, because I already have problems with numbers and stuff in my head anyways. I'm mixing them up and all that, as you clearly have seen many times. Um, to know the address. I know a lot of scripture, but I'm like, hey Google, where it is? You know, when did Google become our teacher? We do the hard work of putting it in our head. Psalm 119.11 Your word I have stored, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to make sure that you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked? Stand in the, or sit Stand in the seat of the, uh, 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 let me read it again, I already forgot, look at that. Walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinner, or sit in the seat of the scoffers. Put God's word in you. Let it be so in you that it comes out of you. That when you come to a moment of trial, or tribulation, or temptation, or someone's telling you, you know, you know just it's okay, just, just go this way, that the red flags go up and say, you know what, no, God says this. And take your stand on God's word. It may be unpopular. I guarantee you it will be unpopular. It won't make friends. <clears throat> At least not friends with the people who count. But it will make you all the more the friend of Jesus. Who is our gracious redeemer as we said. Not only is our redeemer, he's our friend. And that The second is that of meditation. Meditation. Spiritual discipline of meditation. Remember what meditation is. 
Meditate, ponder, give serious thought and consideration to selected information with a possible implication of speaking in low tones, reviewing the material. Again, I like what Donald Whitney says. Deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture or upon life. From a scriptural perspective for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. David writes in Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, hold on a second here. I'm supposed to give thanks all the time. I'm supposed to be joyful all the time. I'm supposed to pray all the time. And I'm supposed to meditate on God's word all the time. Absolutely, because you can do all three. Because out of the meditation comes the others. Out of the meditation comes the others. Donald Whitney again says this. What do we mean by meditation? Because there's all kinds of meditations within the world perspective. Some of you come from eastern countries where meditation has a, a, a concept that is, is not biblical. Since the kind of meditation encouraged in the Bible differs from other kinds of meditation in several ways. While some advocate a kind of meditation in which you do your best to empty your mind, always dangerous, Christian meditation involves filling your mind with God and His truth. That's what it means to meditate. To think about it's putting something in that I can ruminate on, that I can consider, that I can study, that I can look at. We are commanded, by the way, in Scripture to take every thought obedient to Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 10.5, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how do I meditate? <clears throat> Pastor, give me some practicals here. I'm not very good at the practical stuff. I'm more of a teacher. So I look to people who give me practical advice. And I went to openthebible.org. Pastor Colin Smith. I don't know if you've heard of Pastor Colin Smith. Openthebible.org. Fantastic, fantastic preacher. Um, he is on WMCA in the morning. I don't normally listen to WMCA. They got a lot of wackies on there. Uh, but they're getting some good ones too. Colin Smith is fantastic. Openthebible.org. And he had an article in his website about meditation. And so I'm going to give you what he says about meditation. He says, Scripture is the foundation of our praying. Meditation readies us for it by helping us focus, understand, remember, worship, and apply. So what is so he says, meditate, med, uh, five keys to meditating on meditation of God's word. First, meditate to focus. Meditate to focus. Take your time and focus your mind. That's hard. It's hard for me. Because I'll be there and I'll think I'm doing well. And I'll say, well, there's a squirrel. Um, what happened? Focus your mind. This is something we do with the help of God. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You know what? I can pay attention to the things I want to pay attention to. That's just a fact. 
Right? I can pay attention to the things I want to pay attention to. Meditate to understand. Why am I doing this? Why am I giving this time and focusing my mind so that I can understand what is said? What better to understand than what God says to us today? There's a lot of things we need to understand. You go to school, you need to understand the curriculum. You need to understand things. I get that. You can do that to the honor and glory of God also. You are to. But when it comes to God's word, say, I want to understand. Above all else, I want to understand this. Yeah, an A on the math test would be great. Sorry, Mr. John. But man, an A in theology is far better. Meditate to understand. It's, it's not just sitting there blank and having nothing. But it's having tools with you. Meditate, just take the word meditate and put the word study. But study not just, the, not study like we do at school. I get, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And as soon as the test is done, it's over. No, this is, meant, this is to plant something here. To keep something. To cause something to grow. Meditate to understand. And ask God to help you. Psalm 119.27 Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. And then meditate to remember. Just don't put it in and let it go. Meditate to remember. Have it in the back of your mind. Fill up your well. Because you never know when the time's going to come when I need to go into that well. And if it's a, as Jeremiah says, my people have committed a great evil. Or two evils. They've forsaken me, the living God, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns that hold no water. When you need God's help, and you go to the tent for God's help, what have you put in there? Is your cistern full? Remember. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. I ponder the work of your hands, Psalm 143, 5. And meditate to worship. I think it would be a great practice for us to, as a church to begin on Sunday mornings. I'm going to ask you to. I'm going to try to. But as soon as you walk into those doors, we zip it. Sit in the pew. And contemplate on God. And ask God, would you move here today? Would you do something today? Would you speak to me? Would you speak to my brothers and sisters? Because Lord, as I grow, I help them. As they grow, they help me. Would you do something here today, God? How would you think God would be like, oh, forget it. I think that's something God would honor I was saying, that's what I've been waiting to hear from you. It's exactly the thing that I delight to do. Speak, O oh Lord. Let's begin with an attitude of quietness and meditation and focus upon the Lord. Meditate to worship. I promise you, your, your worship will be that much greater. You know, for some of us, it might take a song or two songs to 
get in the groove. There's no groove to get into if we already come in the groove, right? Come prepared, ready to worship. That's why, you know what, Sunday morning is really a Saturday night decision. This is the Lord's day. It's not Eric's day. It's the Lord's day. And can I just segue into something here? I hope you don't get upset at me. You probably may. I don't know. This year, Christmas is on a Sunday. Where are you going to be Christmas morning? Somebody said here. I hope you're here. Because just because it's Christmas doesn't mean it's not the Lord's Day. Please don't substitute Christmas Eve for the Lord's Day morning. It's the Lord's Day. It's not our day. If you're traveling and you're away from home, I encourage you to find a church and go worship in a church. Fact is, many churches are not going to be open on Christmas Day. They want you to stay home and enjoy your family as if that's some God-glorifying thing. And it is in the right context. But it's far more glorifying to come and worship the living God. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, my friend. I hope you're here if you're not away on Sunday morning. It's going to be a regular Sunday. 8.30 prayer, 9.15 Sunday school, 10.30 service. And then go home and rip into your presence and all that stuff. New Year's is another one that's going to be, that's right, it's going to be on Christmas Day. What you do New Year's Eve will determine what you do Sunday, that Sunday morning. It's the Lord's Day. Meditate to worship. But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. And finally, it says meditate to apply. Meditate to apply. I'm going to memorize this. I'm going to let it become. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to worship through it so that I can apply it. It produces obedience. As God said to Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. All right, Pastor, that's some great ideas. Maybe. I think I get what you're saying. Give me a practical and meditating on Psalm 1. Okay. Take Psalm 1. And read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Okay. Have I ever walked in the counsel of the wicked? Yes. Have I ever stood in the way of sinners? Yes. Have I ever sat in the seat of the scoffers? Yes. I can't do this. That's the point. Meditation on the scriptures. When you look at the scripture clearly, with a true heart for understanding, will show you that you and I are unable to fulfill the law of God. That this book shows me I am helpless. I can't do anything. I will, of my own self, 
choose the counsel of the wicked, the way of the sinner, and the seed of the scoffers. That's what's inside me. I don't know about you, but actually I do know because Scripture tells me that's what's inside you also. Oh, that's great. Thanks. But as you continue to meditate on the Scriptures, as you meditate on Psalm 1, and you bring other Scriptures into it, remember, this is just sitting there with your mind, and they go, oh, oh God, oh, God, just pop into my head. What's there? When you begin to meditate on the Scriptures, you will see this, that meditation on the Scriptures will point me to Jesus. Psalm 1 is a psalm about Jesus. Jesus is the only man who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked. He has not stood in the way of the sinners. And he has not sat in the seat of the scoffers. Jesus is the only man and his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. It is only Jesus who has done that. Fully. Are we called to do these? Absolutely we are. It'll point me to Jesus. And as I meditate on the scriptures and I see, you know what, I can't do this. Jesus has. And that meditation on the scripture will cause me, will show me that my righteousness is not from within, but is imputed to me from Jesus Christ. That any righteousness that I have is not because I'm a good boy or girl. We should not read Psalm 1 and say, you know what, I have to do a better job. Yeah, you do. And so do I. How do you do a better job? Man, I'm just going to put my, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to discipline myself. And I'm going to, we may be good for two or three days, maybe a month. And then we're going to fall back into the old practices. But if I say to myself, I can't do this outside of some outside force. That being the Lord Jesus Christ. But I realize that in order for me to stand in the judgment, it's not going to be on my own righteousness. It has to be on the righteousness of someone else. And that person is Jesus Christ. You stand in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We sang, He is my righteousness. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, in which a root will come out of Jesse, and he will build his house, and it will be called the Lord, my righteousness. The Lord, my righteousness. We understand what he's saying. The Lord will give to his people his righteousness. What other God does that? No other God, because there is no other God. And as I realize that I, through the power of the imputed righteousness of Christ, working in me through the Holy Spirit, that I will stand in the judgment. And that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord has hewn out for me a path. The Lord has given me direction. The Lord has empowered me to do exactly what he's asked me to do. And even when I fall, when I fail, he swoops in to correct it. When I understand that, then meditation on the scripture will cause me to strive for obedience to the commands of God by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And as I continue to meditate, what meditation will do, meditation on the scripture will anchor my soul in the, I should say the, completed work of Jesus on my behalf. Meditation on the scriptures. And meditate properly. Not morally, but Christly. I just made up a word. What Christ-centered meditation will anchor your soul in the completed work of Jesus on my behalf. That makes all the difference. That gives me hope. That gives me purpose. That gives me power. And then I can say that, Lord, you have made me like a tree planted by streams of water. And as I abide in you, I have no worries. I'll bear the fruit, and my leaf will not wither. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. It's my hope and my prayer that we all the more meditate on God's wonderful word. Wonderful words. Wonderful words. Words of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, forgive us for treating your word so often as just something we do. As just another book. It's life. It should be our delight. Oh Lord, help us to delight in your word. Help us to meditate on your law day and night. Help us to consider all that you've done for us, your wondrous works. For Lord, when we consider the works of your hands, the sun and the stars that you have made, we have to ask ourselves, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And you do, Lord, you care for us. Indeed, you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Help us, Lord God, not to throw it away. We ask it for the glory of your kingdom. Amen. Let's stand, let's close in the song. Let's close the doxology. Praise God from